Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru, Energy Healing Conference, and Five Wives Vodka. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. Welcome to episode 386 of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. My name's Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. And happy Father's Day, Chris. Thank you so much. (laughs) And happy Father's Day to all of you out there. All the dads. All the dads. If you're new to this show, you might be wondering what it's all about. Well, this podcast is about showcasing awesome people here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We get to talk to musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, really anyone who might have a cool story to share. And we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that's located in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. And not only does Empire have an amazing selection of vape juice and vape accessories, but this is where you can come and purchase your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. I'm wearing mine and I'm going to keep my eyes open for yours. Who's on the podcast today, Chrissy? Today on the podcast, we got to sit down with the founder of the City Weekly, John Saltis. This was a really fun conversation for us, where we got to dive deep into the history of the City Weekly and how it started here in Salt Lake City. Hey, we're going to get into that conversation in just a moment. But before we do, let's give love to one of our super awesome sponsors, Five Wives Vodka. Not only is Five Wives Vodka delicious, but they are local and they are very tasty. Hey, the next time you head on over to the state liquor store, pick up a bottle of Five Wives Vodka. The next time you head on over to your local bar or wherever you get a drink, ask for Five Wives Vodka by name, because whenever you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you are supporting this podcast. Hey, they have three different flavors that Chrissy and I are going to tell you about. They have the original. This is the one that I first tasted, and I'm like, hey, these guys, these guys are onto something. This stuff is really, really good. It is made from Utah Mountain Spring Water. It's 100% distilled corn spirit, and it's gluten-free. The spring is hidden in beautiful Ogden Canyon. It's inaccessible by vehicle, so they're having to hike this water out five gallons at a time. And for those of you who like a little more spice in your drink, you need to check out Five Wives Sinful. Sinful is a delicious cinnamon-flavored vodka. It's unlike other cinnamon products that leave a cinnamon candy taste in your mouth. Sinful is like a morning cinnamon roll, and it only has 76 calories per ounce. There's also the Five Wives Heavenly. This is a flavored vodka with a delicious vanilla taste. Heavenly's rich, buttery vanilla flavor comes through without coating your taste buds with sugar, and this results in more vanilla and less calories. Hey, head on over to their website, fivewivesvodka.com. I was actually just on their website yesterday. It is full of recipes, and for our out-of-state listeners, you can actually go on the website and order a bottle of Five Wives Vodka right from the website. So go check it out. Go support these guys. Like I said, every time you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you are supporting the podcast, 
And as always, many thanks to Five Wise Vodka for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's jump into that conversation with John Saltis when he came over to our podcast studio to share his story, share the story of the City Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the conversation. Where did you even grow up? Did you grow up here in Salt Lake or where? where is even home for you, John? Well, this is a little bit disconcerting, actually, because my home is no longer what it was. Uh, I grew up in Bean Canyon, Kennecott Copper Mine, okay. I, where the hole is, not not at Magna with the smelter, where the mine was. My home, basically, like every other person's home up there, was in the mine. Uh, I grew up hearing trains 24-7, you know, bl- blasting, you know, uh, track gangs working, uh, all kinds of heavy machinery at all times of the day and night. It was a beautiful place to grow up. Uh, Bingham Canyon was a great, great community. Not too many younger people know it was ever there, but there were thousands, 10,000, I think, was the peak population up there, almost entirely comprised of blue-collar immigrants. Uh, I'm, I'm Greek on three of my grandparents' sides. Three of my grandparents came through Ellis Island in 1906. So I grew up with my next-door neighbor on the bottom floor was Japanese. Above him was a Greek. Behind me was a Greek. Next to him was a half Italian, half Greek, married to a Yugoslavian. Next to them were Puerto Ricans. Below them was an Italian. And then two Serbian families, a Croatian, another Mexican family, another Mexican family. I'm just going through the circuit of my little neighborhood. An Italian, another Greek. So you had like an incredibly diverse childhood in Utah, which is kind of unique. When I was older, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought everybody spoke five languages wow. or heard them, you know, and uh, I thought everybody put their boots on in the morning, went to work. Everybody had dinner at four. We were Mayberry in a different way. You know, every family was like that. The mothers worked. I mean, the mothers worked at home. They mm-hmm. were the classic right. housewife, right? Very few women worked in, in the professional fields, unless they were school teachers, maybe. Mm-hmm. Not too many other jobs like for, for women, but the men were all minors. They're all tough bastards, right? Right. And so uh, the environment I grew up in was very, very uh, truthful at all times. You knew mm-hmm. where you stood with everyone. And we were all safe. No one locked their homes. We all lived in really, you can look at pictures now. And I grew up in a, an idyllic childhood. I had the whole Ochre Mountains as my background, as my backyard. But our homes, if you looked at them today, you'd go, man. You know, who would live in such a place? Well, I did. And um, and so did all my friends. So um, it was uh, unbeknownst to us, there was another world outside of our mountain, you know, yeah. uh, escape. I, I, I remember coming to the valley for the first times and just seeing bigger homes, brick homes. We were all wood, basically, uh, except for in the town of Copperton, which is still there. And, and, and for the first time really felt, I'll be honest, that's the first time I really felt any kind of discrimination was leaving Bingham Canyon. And now I'm talking junior high age and stuff like that. Really got my eyes woke up. Did you move at that age to the city uh, area or did you just visit? No, I mean, my parents lived there until like 1991. Okay. And uh, I was in and out of the canyon quite a bit. I'm, I'm an old guy, right? But they were still there then. They were some of the last people to leave what was the lower part of Bingham Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, Copperton's still there, but it's a different, it was kind of a separate community. And um, I don't know how to describe it, except it's been different. So my whole life, I in my adult life, I would meet people and they'd say, oh, you must be from Chicago or you're from Cleveland. I go, no, I, I grew up in Bingham Canyon. And and the, and the fact of it is, it it was like Chicago or Cleveland. I've lived in Chicago. It was the same. There was your pockets of 
you know, ethnicity all over the place. It's blue collar, yeah. you know, the, 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 the way we spoke and the, some of the slang words we all learned and different things because of our, you know, backwards or not backwards, our, our, our shared back time, back, Background, backstory, like, backstory heritage yeah, yeah. were the same. Um, it wasn't dissimilar. Our, our, our parents in Bingham Canyon were no different than the parents and grandparents in Chicago who were brought over here as, uh, you know, to fulfill the labor force during the yeah. Industrial Revolution. They were yeah. brought over to be exploited. So what brought you to Salt Lake City then? How did that? Well, I, this is, school? You know, school, University of Utah. We all had family and friends throughout the valley, right? And uh, through school and so on, I just never really left. I did, actually. I left for a couple times to live out of state short periods. But something brought you back, kept coming back to Salt Lake. Well, part of it is that, you know, it's like... Uh, Capistrano, right? I mean, you just keep returning because you got the mountains over there and the mountains over there. Yeah. And, you know, you know where you are at all times. And uh, I, I do love it here. There's no two ways about it. There, there are a lot of people that I've known my entire life that uh, we're all still here. People from Bingham, uh, you know, we, we share a commonness throughout the country. I mean, I've dumped into people from Bingham all over the country and it's like a big hug. There was really nothing like it in Utah. Carbon County was probably a close second. And they might have been one and one A. They they were really different communities for the rest of Utah. Wow. Uh, my, my one of my grandfathers was a Carbon County resident, a it, coal miner. And the Greek community here in Salt Lake seems pretty strong. I mean, yeah, the, the I Greek mean, festival even. Well, it's not because of clickiness necessarily. There were more Italians that moved into Utah that, at that time than Greeks. Early on, Greece men, primarily men made up about 10% of Utah's population. And the Italians were right in the same numbers. But eventually there were more Italians that came through. And, and the difference was, really, it was a, the, 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 the thing they had in common was all these guys were back in Europe suffering in southern and eastern Europe. And labor agents would go over and say, hey, kids, come to the United States. There's gold on the streets, literally. You can pick it up off the ground. And, and you know, they all got rambunctious and lied about their age and got on boats and came over. So they came over as young boys, and they didn't marry into the culture right away and all that kind of stuff. But the Greeks had a different religion than the rest of those Southern Europeans. You know, most Greeks are almost all Greeks are Greek Orthodox. Italians were Catholic primarily, and uh, so they would go to Catholic churches. But when they went to a Catholic church, they're mixed in with the Irish and yeah. you know Spanish-speaking people and. You know, different Polish people and all that kind of stuff. Greeks, whenever they went on their Sunday services, or didn't even whether you're not religious, that wasn't the point of what I'm saying. If you had a wedding or funeral, though, you're all with all Greeks. So, just because of the nature of the the thing, but um, so because they were always in the same kind of tighter knit group, it culturally stayed a little bit tighter for a longer period of time. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it, and to this day, you know, there's there's a tremendous amount of pride. Primarily, you mentioned it because of the festival that now you're talking kids that are, you know, three generations removed from, you know, the hardship era. And they're growing up in the East Side schools and that kind of stuff. And they're full blood Greek or whatever. And they have no no correlation connection whatsoever to what their grandparents went through. Yeah. That's just assimilation, right? It, it, the festival, however, and the stuff that culturally keeps Greeks kind of the same perpetuates it. For sure. I mean, it's nice to have that that base for everybody too, you know. Well, it was, and but and and, and the pride part comes not just in enabling ourselves to share the the culture, the pare we call it, the party, the 
the the, the togetherness, the, the the zest. I think the Greek Greek festival taught other cultures locally how to have their own successful festivals. Oh yeah, it was the first one that kind of took off. It's probably still the biggest, and but now you know you have the you know Japanese festival yeah. or the Korean festival or it's really inspired et cetera, et cetera, a lot et of it did a lot of people to I, I've, I know venture out and create more culturally specific festivals. Yeah, over the course of time, other ethnicities would come and kind of say, "How did you do it?" Yeah, you know, uh, it, it and it's important to all people like that. I think that uh, you, you know we get lost when when everybody is the same. Mm-hmm. At all, you know, if, if the mind thought and everything's the same. It, diversity really wins. And um, I'm absolute, uh, you know, one of those. I'm in that camp, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So when did journalism come into the picture for you? Is that Was that your initial, uh, was that the original thing you went to school for at the U? Or <clears throat> No. I'm I'm uh, I'm in front of a microphone right now, and I'm one of the shyer people that's probably ever been on your show. Really? I, w- I, uh, I wouldn't guess that. Oh, yeah. And so I... I didn't like to sign my name to things. Uh, I didn't. I, I was uh, actually in high school, in junior high, high school, whatever, growing up. I was a really good student. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it still happens, but you kind of got nicked for that. You know, you were, oh, there's the smart guys that the go nerdy, over there. Yeah, the yeah, I wasn't yeah. a nerd per se because I was also a jock. But I let that, that smart side go away because I was, I won't call it ashamed of it, but it was drawing too much attention, you know? Yeah. And so I purposely did things you know, I became an asshole in some ways, and because you, you, you can't be, in. you can't be a smart nerd and, and not be an and being and and be an asshole. So I, I chose the <laughs> the, the, the asshole route's kind of emotionally safer, you know. Uh, you know, if you have you know, had a little edge, some of the guys that yeah. were the really smart guys, well, we expected them to be. They looked at it; they were respectable, bectacled. Is that the right word? Yeah, bespectacled. they had the pocket thing in their yeah. pocket, you know, the pocket kind of protectors. Yeah, you know, and, and so I wasn't that. <laughs> But I could compete with them on, a, on the scores. But no, journalism wasn't a thing because I didn't like to be expressive. I was in the back. I preferred to be, unless I was in a in a jock situation, football or something. I was the guy that I'm, I'm lying here sitting. We're talking. I just told you I had a hip replacement. <laughs> you know, I've had a shoulder replacement. So did football you, wasn't did you kind play, to me. Did you play oh, football at the U? No, 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 no. only through high school. And uh, I've got every bone that hurts as a result. But. That's where I, that other side would come out. But anywhere else, I was the girls, forget it. Uh, eventually learned past that. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I, if I'm going to get a girlfriend here, I got Yeah, <laughs> but, but uh, I was, I'm shy. And, and so I didn't like to be in things that drew t- I couldn't, I, you know, put me on a stage, no way. So no, I went to the University of Utah to fulfill that business degree. And, and I hated it. I hated business school. So, I just wandered all over. Well, I'm working in a mine, so let's try geology. You know, eh, well, I know a lot about rocks, but what do you do? Yeah. You dig holes your whole life, you know. And uh, a couple other crazy places. One day I woke up, and it took me forever. I mean, I, I, I graduated in seven years, despite taking a test when I was right out of high school. I started basically as a junior. Oh, wow. So I goes into seven years, what most people squeeze into two. Dang, you just couldn't really figure out exactly where you wanted to go with it? At the U, I was lost. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I was used to the regimen of high school, like the bell rings at eight, and you take mm-hmm. roll call, and it rings at 10 minutes after eight, and you walk down the hall, and, and it rings at 15 minutes after eight, and you start your first period, and da 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 The University of Utah, it was like, no bells. 
You know, yeah. oh, wait a minute, that's a pinball machine over there. <laughs> you set your own schedule and you're responsible yeah. to fulfill it. You know, it. you bum a smoke from somebody. Yeah. That's how I got to meet people. That's how I kind of overcame my shyness. You know, I'm not proud to say, but I was, a, I smoked too many cigarettes and, and uh, that's how I'd meet people. You know, I got a match, yeah. play a game of chess and skip your classes. So no, I, it took me forever to get through it. And it was only because one day I went to a counselor and they said, you know, you got all these hours, but none of them add up to anything. <laughs> you got to get out of here. Yeah. So yeah. this was the, it's like, here's your fastest way out. And I go, you're kidding, right? So uh, about a year and a half, it took me a little bit longer, whatever it was, to hurrying up and get out of journalism. I had a lot of English classes behind it and stuff. And when I graduated from journalism from you, having never written anything ever. Oh, wow. They just know? kind of like the classes you had to oh, I, I write. I would write for class. Yeah, but yeah. I had never been published. Okay. Finally, after graduating, about maybe in the midst of it, I, I published with with somebody a letter to the editor, to the Salt Lake Tribune. It's it's in their archives somewhere. Um, Can people find that? You think? Oh, maybe you'd have to, I don't even know when it was. Middle seventies, yeah. sometime. And uh, because I, again, I I couldn't do it by myself. I just said, "Well, let's both of us do it." <laughs> you know. Uh, then what happened is I did get through journalism. Only to find out there's no journalism jobs in Salt Lake. There were none. There were two papers and one magazine. And um, so you had no goal, like in in uh, like a goal in mind. No, I just my my goal was this. My grandfather was at the time maybe ninety three, ninety four. He'd left Crete, the island of Crete, when he was nineteen, twenty years old. Never returned. I became, I think, his first grandson to graduate. And that's what it was about for me. It wasn't about being in business. It was like, you know, this guy came over here with nothing in his pockets. And for me to hold that member, I took it to him. There's the degree. And he, oh, Johnny, that's really good. Really good. And he gives me like five bucks, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was worth it. Yeah, that was a valuable go. five bucks, yeah. though. And, and so that's what that was for. So yeah. now I'm wandering around with a college degree and I can, you know, I had some serious good bartending skills for a while. So were you bartending at some of the bars here in Salt Lake? Yeah, uh, a number of them. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I I never had the desire to be in the club business, but I, I didn't mind that lifestyle, at least then. But then you kind of go, well, all my friends are, they're having children and buying homes, and I have to find a roommate to make payments on my rent, you know. <laughs> it gets old. So I, I tried, but there wasn't anything here. So a year and a half later, so I had a brother living in Chicago. And uh, just up and moved, stayed with him for a while, slept on a couch like these chairs here, really, for like almost a month in his office because he oh, didn't wow. have, yeah. And, and I would, I would like work for him a little bit during the day. And then his, his crew would leave, right? Then you'd And I'd leave with him and bed. I'd say, see you guys, see you tomorrow. And then I'd just drive around the parking lot and come back in and sit in a chair like this and fall asleep wow. and then wake up before they arrived. And um, yeah, that was kind of different. In industrial park, <laughs> sleeping by yourself, and and uh, while in Chicago, there's there's a, there was a saying: if you can't find a job in Chicago, you can't find one anywhere. And uh, I you open the Chicago Tribune, and there's just pages and pages of ads for help, and there's columns and columns of writers wanted. And I got a job at a country music magazine. Never had. I mean, I, I became a country music fan that day. Because right? of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I faked them out, really. I got the job because I thought, well, anybody from Utah must listen to country music. And he hands me a – the editor hands me a, an album, 
Have you ever heard this guy? And it was Billy Joe Shaver. And I'm like, oh, sure. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> review this. Yeah, I'll review this. And if I, I left and drove to a library. You couldn't do online searches right. And I get in the, the card file and everything, find Billy Joe Shaver, find out a little bit about him. And lo and behold, he'd written some songs and partnered with other people on songs that I'd actually heard. I wasn't really immersed in country music then, but I wrote a record review on it and got the job. Wow. So uh ended up staying in Chicago, meeting a lot of cool people. And that's that's when journalism began. And what, approximately what was the year for this? Maybe? Is it 1981? Okay, so early 80s, yeah. I loved Chicago. I always will. It's, it's a beautiful my, city. It's my favorite city. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not home. It's not home. Chicago, San Francisco, obviously, for many people. Washington, D.C. is a great city. But Chicago is a great place. And I lived there in a neighborhood by perchance that things just woke me up. And my brother, for instance, I'll just walk through a litany of them. You know, there's not too many uh, black people in Utah, right? And so when you go to Chicago, if you want to hear good music, you're out in the and I don't know what the hell to do. And my brother had a partner that was, a, you know, he was an African-American who kind of said, this is what you do. And he told me <laughs> what to do. And I followed his instructions. I won't repeat them, but I, I mean, and, and I went everywhere. I never feared for myself at all, you know. And I should have sometimes because I did some stupid walking late at night, but in crazy places. But that woke me up to like, the social enterprise, because you can, for the first time, where I grew up in a neighborhood of everybody the same, and then went to a culturally different place in Salt Lake and University of Utah, where everybody just kind of struggles, but you don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then to see it in Chicago, yeah, it woke me up. Uh, then, and that was near enough to my neighborhood. It was a housing project called uh, Cabrini Green that wasn't very far from where I, I lived. And um, one day I was awoken to more than one day but on this particular day i was awoken to the sounds of like drums and music coming down the street because the street i lived on or a block away from was clark it's very it's a thoroughfare that runs north and south and and uh i walk over to see the parade i'd seen several i just didn't know what this parade was and it took place about this time of year as a matter of fact it was a gay pride parade Something never had happened in Utah, obviously. Yeah. And so I'm standing there and I go, holy mackerel. I had no idea. I didn't have any idea. I mean, I knew gay people. I grew up with 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 guys that, you know, and it didn't bother me one little bit, but I'd never been around a, 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 a mass. A big parade, nothing a festival. Like that, yeah. Nothing. And yeah. So I'm standing there and uh, just prayed after prayed, Miss Puerto Rico, Chicago, you know, Miss Greek, Chicago, and all that kind of stuff. It was cool. And uh uh, there was a chant coming down the street, off of the corners and into the streets, off of the corners and onto the streets, you know, join the parade. Fairies and faggots and dykes, oh my. Fairies and faggots and dykes, oh my. <laughs> and they're walking by. And I, I thought, God, this is this is fantastic. And the guy next to me, he's going, God, I hate these people. I hate these people. What's wrong with you? You know, what, what are you saying? And and uh, he, well, how can they do that? And I go, because they're people. And uh, sure enough, a little bit later, he, he goes, you know, I'm sorry I said what I said. I'm joining the parade. He, that was his wow. coming out moment. So that's the first time. I, I mean, five minutes before, he was like fighting every bit of it with his soul. Yeah. And then he decided, I can't live this. And he, he joined the parade right there. And that's the first time I'd seen anything like that. That's cool, where yeah. somebody who just awoke, right? Mm-hmm. So I saw that in Chicago. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. 
We are really, really excited to be bringing Mark Miller Subaru on as a brand new sponsor for this podcast. We really love how much they do and how active they are here in the Salt Lake City community. In true Subaru fashion, Mark Miller Subaru isn't afraid to take the road less traveled. That's why Mark Miller Subaru is honored to be Utah's only negotiation-free Subaru retailer. Mark Miller Subaru's exclusive negotiation-free program is called Promise Price. All vehicles sold at Mark Miller Subaru are competitively priced so their customers know that they are getting an exceptional deal. Everyone, and they mean everyone, regardless of who you know, pays the exact same price. The price that you see is the price that you pay. Mark Miller Subaru is committed to revolutionizing the car buying experience. By offering people a transparent, competitive, and honest price up front, Mark Miller Subaru can focus on providing their guests with a fun and memorable experience instead of one tainted negotiation. Mark Miller Subaru, they have two convenient locations for you to visit. They have the Mark Miller Subaru Midtown. This is the one located at 3535 South State Street, right here in Salt Lake City. This is the one that we use for all of our Subaru needs. They also have a Southtown location located at 10920 State Street, right in Sandy. Go test a Subaru today. I know that you're going to love it. I know that I couldn't imagine living here in Utah without our Subaru. It has gotten us out of some situations that I know a different car would not have been able to handle. Between snow and rain and some of the back road conditions, I couldn't imagine a life without a Subaru. Again, go visit them at their Midtown or Southtown locations, and many thanks to Mark Miller Subaru for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I was living at the same thing at that same time where the first outbreaks of AIDS anywhere, it wasn't called AIDS, it was called gay cancer, which was just a couple, few blocks north of where I lived. And um, that's something that I, wow, something's happening, something's going on. And uh, yeah, the word yuppie was kind of a Chicago kind of thing, you know, young urban professional. And where I was living was where it was all happening, you know, with an Ace Hardware store right a few feet away that just supplied every piece of this kind of stuff all over the, the neighborhood, you know, what I'm pointing to the walls here, um, <laughs> that, met, that took these old buildings and made them really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Um, so you really got engulfed in, in I, culture I, that you wouldn't have been no, percent stayed here the whole time. From music to food. To those cultural things that you just yeah. experience. I grew, as I said, I grew up in an area of non-bias for me, my family, and and non-prejudice and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I didn't have to struggle hard to understand that I was okay there. My awakening was, this is big. This isn't just a guy that people make fun of because the people did back then, right? They would, they did. Um, I'd, I'd seen it. They say, they, they whispered, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was just, the crazy uncle, if you will, or something. And then Chicago was masses of people, and I was just, like, astounded. And I knew that the same thing was in Salt Lake, but they hadn't congealed. Right. At the time, I was introduced to the first ever alternative newspaper I'd ever seen. In Chicago. In Chicago. It was called the Chicago Reader. And I thought, God, Salt Lake should have one of these. And uh, when I left Chicago, I took one issue of Chicago Reader with me, uh, two, actually, one because of the story, a story I wanted to save for a friend of mine, a different story for another time. But uh, he was a Vietnam veteran from uh, who survived Quezon, 
anyway, that was for him. There was a story about it in Chicago Reader. And then uh, just one to have. And so I got back here and it took a while because that was 1981. I didn't start the paper until 84 about. Did a little bit of freelance writing here for a publication called The Event that's no longer existing. And then started my own as a newsletter, but I copied the Chicago Reader. You know, I've never, this is the first paper I've ever worked at. Yeah. I never. It's it's good to have something to base the structure off of, right? I just measured on layout paper, you know, okay, this is two inches wide and I'd make a line and then I'd put tape down and it looked like a really shitty version (laughs) of the Chicago Reader. But that's what I did at first. Were you just photocopying them or did you actually get a newsprint or? They're printed off of a newsprint. Yeah, yeah. Off of a web press. The very first issues were just 12 pages or whatever the press was. I think 16 pages. Did you mention yet how it went by a different name at first? It was called The Private Eye. Yeah. Fascinating there. Yeah. And what was the reason for that? Well, the first thing I discovered in starting a newspaper of that nature is that you don't know, but back then they were private clubs. Maybe you do know. Oh, I remember those very okay. well. Okay, yeah. right. So you had to join a private club to go have a cocktail. If you didn't have a membership, you weren't allowed in. It was, of course, theoretical. If you knew somebody, you got in. But that was the point. So, But the clubs couldn't advertise. This was not a First Amendment issue. This was a decision by people in Utah that circumvented they didn't want people to know about the clubs, basically. Right. Well, because that's yeah. where the boozing was going on. Right. right. Yeah. That's I mean, that's, where the, that's where the them. other people went, right? <laughs> yeah. So what they had to do was send a newsletter to their membership. When you went in and bought your card, you filled out a form and said, my name's Chris Hollyfield. Yeah. And here's my address before email, right? And here's my la, 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 la. And what you'd get every every club you joined, some point in the month, stupid little card. You, you well, you'd not you'd have your card, but you'd get an, a, a letter of some kind okay, of the mail. Yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. open it up and say, "Hey, come back, come into uh, just pick a club, uh, Sage Supper Club. Tuesday night is steak night, four ninety five for a T bone. And Wednesday night is a fashion show, and Thursday night is something. And here's our bands that are coming up this month. Wednesday something morning is a fashion show, whatever. And you would have the information what's going on in that club." The next envelope would be from Club 90, and they mm-hmm. would tell you what they're doing at Club 90. The next envelope would be Widow McCoy's, and you you just keep on getting these flyers. So what I did was I went to all these guys, and I, I was doing, starting to do a few of their newsletters because they were really bad at it. <laughs> and um, so I started that way. And then there was another group in town, the Zephyr Club. Oh, yeah. Nino's had a private club. It was on the university building and the comedy club that was in Aeropress Square. They got together and put all their news into one newspaper, one newsletter, three places in one newsletter. That had never happened before. And so I copied that model shamelessly and uh, just went out and got other clubs. The diff, What we could not do, though, was if you were a member of Club 90, you couldn't get news about the Sage. Hmm. You could only get Club 90 news. And so <laughs> that's weird, why you got all those different newsletters, Was right? that really difficult to try to figure out how to be able to deliver – so what All I did, that? yeah, what I did was uh, when you run a newspaper and when you come off the printing press, you've got your front page, right? And it has several other pages with it. Right. The way it folds and comes off the press, there's your front page. So I would put this front page would be Club 90s News. And if they had 3,000 members, you'd run 3,000 of that issue and stop the press. And then you'd switch it out on the plate on the printer. Put another and one. Oh, and you'd this just would be the sage. Huh. 
So the con- they'd get three pages out of 16 or three pages, whatever. They got the front page and the center spread. Everything else from the fashion column to the humor column <laughs> to, yeah. re- to everything else was identical except for the front cover. And so the Club 90 people got a Club 90 newsletter. The Sage people got a Sage newsletter with the same advertising content inside. So you took a 3,000 you know, Club 90 membership and a 4,000 over here. It totaled up around 20,000. And that would be the print run. So now you have a sizable print run that you could sell ads against. And all those ads showed up in 20,000. Wow. It's only Club 90 or the Sage, et cetera, who were switching out. The problem was obvious. Some people joined all four of the clubs or five, and they'd get four of these things in the mail. Oh, yeah. that makes. I didn't think about that. Well, they were already getting four before, but four right, separate but envelopes, four and that was four of the same. Yeah. Other than the front cover and their huh. center spread. So that worked for a few years. Uh, the funny part about that one was uh, it got popular. What got popular? Just the that- private eye. We started to be early on, not just, we were opinionated. It wasn't just about fashion, you know, uh, between myself and a guy named Richard Barnum Reese and a, notably Ron Yankich, the attorney, was a, he's a Bingham kid where I grew up. His family, Yankiches, were Croatian. He was half Croatian and half Italian. So he grew up in the same environment I grew up in, hardworking, honest to the core, no, no bullshit, no prisoners, and very, very intelligent. And he was a, he was a fun writer to read. So we, we had our opinions. And so it got popular. Opinions about what? Like yeah, whatever, like, mostly liquor laws and liquor how stupid laws, Utah is, yeah. right? I don't think, I mean, even to this day, I look back and I go, there are people still talking about the same stuff that we started with, you know, cause. It's kind of easy here, right? For me, it's kind of like low hanging fruit. It is, and it, yeah. it, the problem is that the fruit never gonna <laughs> it's never got you know, <laughs> riper. It never, no, never did, and so I don't do it like that any longer. But it's there for other people to pick. It's it, whatever the common cause was, whether you know. But it evolved, right? So if it was liquor that everybody was bitching about, and they, they always did, that's today's the same deal. It would always have the same broad things behind it. The people who drink are sinners. Mm-hmm. People who are telling us not to drink are fascists. And you just play off of that forever. But because we were opinionated, eventually it turned into other things because, you know, the country goes to war like in Afghanistan. So all of a sudden you have a different topic to be opinionated about. Or pridefully for us, and I don't mean that in any way as a pun or not, but we were very early entrants into covering gay issues here that was were not associated with. We were the the mainstream. The mainstream yeah. war wasn't touching it. Desert News would never write about the stuff we were writing about, right? But it of, needed to be written about. And the it Tribune did. was kind of like, well, we don't want to piss off our partner. This was mm-hmm. back then because their partner was the Desert News or the Church or whatever. We don't want to piss off the big institutions. Gosh, if we do this, there's big ads that drop out. Well, we didn't have any ads that drop out. In fact, most of the places that were advertising with us wanted us to do those stories. So, um, you know, we did the first, it was a childhood AIDS story. And I think that was an outgrowth of when I lived in Chicago, just seeing, you know, the first AIDS stories, how they were done in Chicago. Early, a lot of coverage. Well, I won't say a lot because we were a monthly or every two weeks, but Whenever we could, there was something like that. And then gay bashing. I don't even think if people know what that is today. We all know about bullying on social media. But it used to be a thing, you know, in some of the gay clubs around town. Guys would drive their cars around and just holler slurs at, you know, who's ever going in or out. Mm-hmm. And take baseball bats to people. Really, literally. Yeah. Or beat up their cars, you know, throw rocks through windows. 
And, and we tried to expose that kind of stuff. And we, you know, early, notice this now. Pride's old. I mean, Pride has been around since, you know, Stonewall and stuff, but it was small. And we were in parades with our, you know, marching along there when it was, you know, a few blocks long along State Street. Did you did you receive any backlash, like, from the culture here or from anyone in the area uh, being so opinionated? Not for that reason. Not not on – I can't say never. I'm, I'm, we've, we, we had many people different courses of time. Most of our distribution always depend on being on private property. Mm-hmm. So if somebody didn't like what we wrote about, well, they'd say, get your papers out of here. Well, probably somebody didn't like something we said about uh, equality and kicked our papers out. But most people said, give us more papers. However, there were other issues that were uh, – there was a period of time when uh, – what were they called? The They were like neo-Nazis running around town, right? Oh, skinheads. Skinheads and, and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and those guys would send threatening messages. We know where you live, you know. Or, For, oh, because you were writing about – Yeah, or to our writers or yeah. not necessarily to me. People, I know one of our writers had a – we'll have to consider it a, a – Serious death threat. I had what sometimes you go in in the morning back when you had tape recorded messages, you'd hear your messages and all these little things like, Hi, I'd like to send you a press release. Hey, did you know we're having a party? And the next one would be like, I'm going to kill you. You know, wow. holy shit, who was that? And you can't yeah. find out, you know? So there's no way to trace it for voice recording. Were you nervous though? Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine. I guess that's kind yeah, of a dumb I would be question. Nervous. I would be, you know, you watch your back, hire a bodyguard. No, we didn't do that. I mean, but, but, you know, we weren't provoking anyone. We did, a, I mean, we weren't, we did stories. We, mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, go stir the nest. I think that it's the nature of, uh, you know, people on the fringe, of any fringe, to react. And uh, they, they still do. And uh, we just took it on the chin when it happened. And, and let's just see what happens. Uh, we were on alert, though, yeah. Uh, and journalism, People in journalism should be on the alert all the time, but uh, because we're always treading on places where other people don't really want to go, mm-hmm. but need to go. So, I mean, that's proof to say you have to step outside your comfort zones, push the limits, push, uh, not be afraid to uh, say your opinions, right? Like I think in today's society, so often we're afraid to say how we feel about something or, or how we, you know, what we mean, especially with things going on here in Utah, you know, there's, you, you got, you got to speak your mind. I think it's important. Right. It's paid off for you. Most of what we did well was speaking our mind, but we had, eventually we had friends in both camps because we were kind of like agnostic to who we told stories on or wrote, wrote about. I mean, People don't know that sometimes people, Warren Hatch hates us probably, right? Uh, we've given him worse Utah plenty of times. <laughs> but there are other times when he might have done something well. We, we said so. We didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't say, oh, we hate him, but we said, no, he did well. So eventually, I mean, I, as the paper grew older and people got more familiar with this, I, I've sat down with officials from the LDS church and had lunch and I've had people who wrote us nasty, nasty emails and I would respond the next thing we're buddies. You know, it takes getting face to face with people. Mm-hmm. Social really media is very, very poor at that. You know, I'm looking at two, you know, two bright people across the table, but we wouldn't be able to do this on Twitter. Yeah. So you just learn how to try to communicate at least. And if somebody's on the other side willing, you can make a bridge. And one thing that we've always done, you know, where we would be called at one time the, the radical left pinko, liberal pinko fag paper, whatever. And that was a quote, not my sense of it. 
it was just like, that was just too easy for them to call us that, wasn't it? So let's go have a talk. And then you kind of go, wait a minute, we both have the same problem. We have the pothole that we share that's in the same neighborhood and the dog that barks in the middle of the night and the price of gas went up for both of us equally. Mm-hmm. So you find ways to communicate. And we've been really quite fortunate that way. Cause as I said, we, there's no two ways about it. We're, we're left leaning, right? Some people on staff have been farther left than I am. Some people on staff are not. And I've never told anybody to vote for X or say something or whatever. Uh, it, it, it's just not the way we do it. And so over time, we've, we've had serious good friends and allies on both sides of, yeah. of every issue. Um, ardently, one of, this was a, just a funny story. Um, I guess it's funny. In the 1990s, we were, uh, we were, we did a story, we made our brand, uh, doing what was then called the Bonneville Pacific scandal. Biggest scandal in Utah history at that time. It involved almost every high profile player in, in Utah politics and so on. And, Tut, and the mayor of Salt Lake City was in the middle of it, Mayor Didi Cordini. And most of these guys, in fact, all of them would go to jail eventually, I think, or pay substantial fines, lose their everything over this scandal. Well, everybody was enthralled by it because City Weekly, well, it was still called the private eye then, was uh, the only paper in town reporting on it. Really? Everybody else was compromised because wow. at the Deseret News, they, you know, they, some of the faithful members of the church were involved in the scandal. And at the Tribune, some of the skions and pillars of the community, uh, the business circles are involved. It was a big deal. It would deal. come back to hurt them if yeah, they, they reported they on it. They were kind of like, I yeah. won't say they're being all the way protective, but they weren't being aggressive on it at all. Right. And our reporter, Lynn Packer, is like, my opinion, the best investigative reporter ever in Utah. He he, he was working for us, and uh, he came to us via KSL TV and uh, Desert News, I think, but... BYU. Anyway, he was he he was available for reasons that a brave guy like him would would do, and he told stories that eventually got him in trouble. His uncle was Boyd Packer of the LDS oh, Church, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so he did some expository exposing kind of stories that, and that weren't popular. Anyway, he did this. He was our guy, and he was getting information nobody else had. So over the course of just to say four or five years, we, Didi Cordini was on the cover thirty plus times. You know. Story after story, almost every issue had something about it. And the other media would come and report what we reported. And they'd always, the bastards, you know, they would, back then they would, they had no respect for us. And Mm -hmm. most, some of them still don't, but they would say, according to a third party source, (laughs) they wouldn't say according to private eye newspaper, they wouldn't even quote Lynn Packer. You'd see it on the news, you'd see it in print or whatever. They'd never tell us by name. (laughs) But along the way, this guy starts showing up and, you know, like on Wednesdays or something and picking up the paper. Zedretti, and he'd take off, and we said, well, who are you, you know? And he was a courier for John Huntsman Sr., who came to love our reporting and became, you know, a good friend of the City Weekly over time. And uh, so for all those years, he was reading and, and enjoying what we were doing, very much so. Uh, he was a good guy from that regard. I didn't meet him for many years after that. I, I didn't even have the inkling to. Then one day I got a uh, – I wrote and had written a column – about how my life kind of went and had something to do with luck and timing and stuff like that. And he wrote a handwritten little note to me. I opened it up and I go, what? You know, and uh, he reads our paper and he took the time to write this and he did. And it's framed. It's still in my office in a frame. And we met after that, a couple of years after that. So I didn't know him during that period, but I met him later. And he told me that, yeah, that's 
what it was. And uh, you guys have done great. I've had great respect for you. And I said, well, I have great respect for you too, because thanks to you, our average household income went up by about $50,000 a household. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because of when you add him in as a reader. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I like your style there. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Energy Healing Conference. Tammy Anderson Ward from Hope Haven Events has produced dozens of life-changing conferences, retreats, and events since 2014, helping to bring clarity to thousands about energy healing. And we're excited to tell you about this conference that she's doing right now, Energy Healing Conference. It's coming to downtown Salt Lake City on June 21st and the 22nd, right to the Salt Palace Convention Center. So depending on when you're listening to this, it's really just a few days away. And there will be dozens of nationally acclaimed speakers who are experts in the fields of energy medicine, nutrition, acupuncture, qigong, chakra wellness, and tons more. There will be over 200 alternative health vendors with unique products and services. Keynote speakers include Carol Tuttle, Tam Pendleton, Benjamin King, and Tammy Anderson Ward. Head on over to energyhealingconference.com so you can find out more information about this amazing conference, find out the speakers and, and all the vendors that are there. I am Salt Lake Podcast listeners. Pay attention because we have a promo code for you that you can use on the website when you purchase your ticket. The promo code is IMSLC, I-A-M-S-L-C. This is going to save you $10 off your ticket and you'll be supporting this podcast as well. Again, that website is energyhealingconference.com. Head on over to the website to find out more about this conference coming to the Salt Palace on June 21st and 22nd. And remember to use the promo code IAMSLC, and that will save you $10. We'll see you all there, and many thanks to Energy Healing Conference for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. How heavily involved are you still with City Weekly? Are you pretty involved? Do you go in every day or, or what's? Not so much. Um, I'm not, not like I was. Uh, I, things get passed to me or channeled to me, but I don't even sit in the City Weekly side, uh, of my office. Uh, there's another branch of what we're doing over there. It's technology and software that I was showing you earlier that we can talk about another time. Uh, but, um, yeah. that's where my focus is. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, there, there was a time I always knew what was going to be on the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew what all that kind of stuff. I'd see the proofs, and and now I basically go say hi to the editorial people. When I just hi hey hi hi hi, where's my horoscope? You know, and I read my horoscope <laughs> before everybody else gets there, so I get a jump on the week. You know, um, that's about it. No, I don't have a lot to operationally somewhat, but not yeah. in terms of not in terms of editorial. Do you still write at all, or no? I time a little bit here and there. I should write more, not because I have overcome my shyness. I talked about. <laughs> But because there's a role for that voice in what we are today. And uh, I I shouldn't walk away from that. I just haven't had a lot of time to. And there's another thing. I wrote about it in one of my columns. I didn't write very many recently, but one of them was like, you know, how do you – it's hard for a writer to write, at least in my kind of style, because, you know, know, in three seconds you have this idea, right? And I'm going to go write a column about X. And you you open your Twitter account and – 17 other people are saying the same thing that you thought was an original thought. That does make it tough to create unique journalism nowadays when everybody can spout their opinions so fast that... And the problem with, you know, at least in the chaos of the olden ways of doing things, not that there were fewer voices. I've always been an advocate of having more voices, but there was a hierarchy to what was 
understood to be true or not true. And now anybody that puts their 288 characters on Twitter thinks they're freaking authority. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're going to bullshit, you know, call bullshit here. It, it just is. And, and, uh, there you, you have a harder time there. It's not communicating at all. We've chosen our teams. Right. It's just shouting. It's just, you it's know, a shouting match. There's nobody watching BYU Utah. We're all throwing snowballs into the fans. You know, there's a game below us, but nobody really cares what play is being called. They don't care who's in the game. We just cheer for the red or the blue. And that's the same thing for states too, isn't it? Now, City Weekly, you, you've uh, there's been a lot of different things that has offshooted from it. Uh, different magazines, events. Yeah. I mean, even the best of Utah is well, kind of turned into its own event, which I realize. I mean, we don't need to necessarily, uh, for for sake of time, obviously, get into everything. But uh, there's there's there was a couple things like even the recent Utah Can uh, convention right. that you you put on. I mean. I find that so fascinating that you had the balls to put that on basically here in the state of Utah. That was one I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, for the same reasons in the nineties and stuff, when I said our involvement, like in equality and stuff, well, okay, we did that and we marched in the parade long before the corporate people were ever even thinking of being in the parade. So now it's like, well, what do you do next? You know, then it was liquor. Well, we helped change liquor laws. John Huntsman Jr. had me and Tom Barberry come down to the, when he signatured, got rid of private clubs. That must have been an awesome day, man. Yeah, it was. I mean, well, we thought. I get carded more now than I ever did in a private club. I mean, I had to get, had to have a card to get in a private club, but if I right. knew you'd let me in. And I try to get into any club in town, and they're going to say, where's your driver's license? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Look at me. I'm your grandfather. <laughs> but they won't, you know. You look and under have, 39, though, John. I, I do. <laughs> so what happened was when we were just a newspaper and we had those causes and stuff, that's the Utah can one. But what happened was our industry changed. We never lost readers. The dailies have told this freaking, you know, story, you know, forever about failing and, and uh, people don't like them. They don't trust newspapers, but people didn't quit reading. They didn't quit listening to radio and podcasts, et cetera. You just have to know what your niche is. The difficulty that happened truthfully is we all suffered. There were papers like ours. When classifieds went online, that took a major blow to us and everybody else in the business, right? That does that kind of a news, you know, but if you thought about it, the classified ad had nothing to do with the journalism at the front of the book. But it was a big revenue. There, it was a way that all the, source, those people right? were doing was paying for a distribution network. They weren't yeah. paying to have us be left, right, or red, or blue. Right. They just wanted the people that picked up our paper. Who cares what your politics are if you buy a lawnmower? So when they always went online, you lost the revenue stream. That hurt. So we developed new ones. We already had City Guide was our first glossy. We already had Best of. So, say 10 years ago, we did 52 issues of City Weekly and one glossy. This year, we'll do 52 issues of City Weekly and over 30 glossies. Plus, Best of Utah is now probably the party of the year yeah, to go it is. to. I mean, would you guys? Oh, uh, absolutely. All right. So, it's I mean, a good time. I've been and you can say what you want, but it's a, it's a damn good party. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so, um, so, we have that event, and we thought, oh, shit, let's do other events. So, we 10 years ago this year, we did. Uh, or the first Utah craft beer festival and beer festival that's now grown into the largest in the Intermountain region outside of, uh, it's just a big one, right? It's, if you've been, I hope you've been. Oh, of but, course. Yeah. So, um, if you haven't, we'll make sure that you go this year. So that festival is, is huge uh, or, or big for us. Utah can was like, what's the next cause? We've done this one and this one and this one. Well, it was on the referendum. So we held our first one last year, got our ass kicked financially. 
it was a much better show this year, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we, now now we can, when we created a magazine out of that called Cannabis Utah. And is that so, going to be an ongoing magazine? No, too? we didn't think so. We thought, well, let's just see what happens. But it was really well received. So we're, Cannabis Utah is going to come out more frequently, and our first one, next one will come out in about two months. That's awesome. And then we'll pick that up. So Devour Food Magazine is it's Utah's best food magazine. I'm not saying that because it isn't. It is. And uh, Vamoose has a way to go, but it's a recreational, outdoor recreation, but it's for every man. It's not for the guy who climbs Everest or the woman who dives the deepest without, you know, taking a breath. Because mm-hmm. that's what all the extreme mag- sports magazines, they always do that, right? They, they make it impossible for a fat guy like me to participate. But I can get in my car and drive to a park, right? Yeah. And still have the same experience. So that's what Vamoose does. Best of Utah was a once-a-year thing, best bacon and eggs, best podcast. But we spun out of that best real estate, best body and mind, best commerce. And we still do the bacon and eggs in the fall. So anyway, when you add them all together – events, magazines, all this kind of stuff is driven by one thing. It's because over the course of time, City Weekly, Private Eye, City Weekly, our voice built a community. Right. And the community always listened to us. Well, you're a trusted trusted source for those people who have kind of felt on the fringe. It's not lost on me. Take it very, very seriously because, uh, you know, we don't don't bullshit them. Mm -hmm. Never have. And we won't. But- that community, we used to say, hey, go to Party X over there. And Party X may or may not buy an ad from us. But we're telling people to go there. And they do. So why not just create your own events, right? And still we'll support the other guy, but this is our community. And our community yeah. can help change the course of – and it did. When Proposition 2 passed last year, Utah can had just a little bit to do with that. Oh, I'm Some sure. Some people, I mean- you know, because it, it brought people to the table that were forced to acknowledge it, politicians and stuff. and. And, and look at it as a, wait a minute, this thing will probably pass. And we can't just assume that it won't pass, even though we're trying to kill it. Mm-hmm. So coast to coast, people know who we are now when it comes to cannabis. That was a surprise, frankly, but a happy one because I'm an advocate. I'm, and, you know, I, I took a nice dose of CBD before I came down here and uh, legal. <laughs> I repeat, CBD's legal. legal. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, but did you ever see that coming here in Utah? No. I mean, that's ridiculous. I grew up in the era when guys would get caught with a joint and then by Wednesday they're in Vietnam, you know? So, no. It's really strange. One of my really, really good friends, I won't name her by name, uh, she's an arch conservative LDS, very activist. And you may know her, but it doesn't matter. I don't want to reveal it. You know, she, she, she came to Utah Can and she goes, I can't believe the lies I've been told my entire life. And and that's what we've done with that with that topic. Here's here's something that it's now documented, proven over. It's not a cure all for everything. We can't go that far, right? But we do know it works for epilepsy. We do know it works for Crohn's. We do know it works for PTSD. We do know it works for pain. And the tests are ongoing. And yet there's this stigma. Even when you talk about it, too many people still refer it as marijuana, Mary Jane, you know, the Cheech and Chong kind of stuff. Well, that's a pejorative term. Mm-hmm. That that was created. That wasn't even anything in the 30s. It's been cannabis. That's the real name of what it is. And um, whether it has higher levels or lower levels of THC is not germane to this conversation, but the facts are something's going on that works. Why are we denying that from yeah. the people who are in pain, the people who are in depression or anxiety or whatever, at least to have their own opportunity to make a decision about it? 
and yep. so from a completely natural source. Yeah, I mean, and Utah Can wasn't about consumption of of anything. This is very much an industry show too, because it's going to be a huge industry in Utah. Oh yeah. I just read an article in the uh, Tribune, I think it was, saying uh-huh. uh, they project Utah to be one of the big players in CBD and hemp or something. I, I, well, okay, take hemp, for example. Yeah. I met a farmer uh, at Utah Can. He's walking by, and I go, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of farmers, too, uh, miners and farmers. Hey, buddy. You know, I go to him, and he looks over and says, hey. <laughs> and he kind of comes over and talks, and I said, what you doing here? I don't know him from Adam. I come up from uh, my town on Central, on Central Utah. He told me the town. But in case he's listening to this, I don't want to reveal who he is. He says, mighty fine here. And I go, well, what, what are you interested in doing? He says, well, I want to convert my alfalfa, my alfalfa to uh, grow. You know and what's I, funny? That's my friend. Oh, really? I, I was talking to him at Utah Can too. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. then. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. he's a good guy. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah, a, yeah, he's yeah. such a good guy. Okay. So yeah. wonderful. But anyway, yeah. if it is, we'll, we can discuss afterwards when we go up but. Anyway, he, he wants to convert his alfalfa. Alfalfa is really just a way to export Utah water to somewhere else because alfalfa just eats our water and then we ship it away. But he, he said, well, I want to do this because this can help people, but I'm only going to grow hemp because he doesn't want to grow THC, whatever, the good stuff. Because, you know, he's, he's still fearful that that might be a bad thing. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. If he grows hemp in Utah, becomes there's so much acreage and empty, home, empty, empty uh, warehouses all over Utah. Yeah, this could become a major, major industry for Utah. It, it's got everything that's right about from climate to soil to the people that want to participate to you know the marketing networks, all those MLMs down in Utah County. Come on. Mm-hmm. So you know this this is a, this is a big big deal, and it's going to be good for so many Utah. It can really turn around the the lives of the farmers in Utah. Exactly. Who doesn't want to be able to say, you wake up in the morning and then come back home at five o'clock, sit down with your family and say, I did something good today. Mm-hmm. I, 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 my crop didn't pollute. It wasn't a bunch of cows farting. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't this or that or the other. And uh, we didn't ship our, we, we did some good today because it turned into something that helped people. And that's where this guy's head was. And, and, and that's, he was sincere and he's a good LDS dude and, and uh, good. He's in. It's going to be a big deal. That's awesome. Yeah. If somebody was visiting Salt Lake City, say over a weekend, this next upcoming weekend, what would you recommend? I mean, is there a, is there a building area of town, a hike, a waterfall? I don't know. What would in you the want? city? Uh, in or out the valley, the area. It's big. I mean, we've had everything from camping areas yeah. to buildings, whatever. Well, you know, if it's downtown, obviously it's not very hard to get around downtown. So I usually ask people what they like to do. Sometimes... And it's funny, you know, people come from other cities and they don't realize that Salt Lake City is an old city. Unfortunately, I do remember some of the beautiful buildings we no longer have, but we still have some really, really beautiful buildings left. Yeah. We're in a building, it's called uh, the David Keith Building. It's not so beautiful in and of itself, but it's a nice old 1905 built structure or something like that. But directly north of us, there's the Lawlin Building and another, the, the building that has uh, Martine in it, one of the few brownstones in town. You can take tell people to take hey, check some of these places out because they are really cool. And they look up and they go, God don't mind. It was built in 1878. I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah. And it's not the glass kind of stuff, right? So th- those are one cluster. Then you say to people, you know, they'll say, I, I'll tell you one thing I've never done. I've never said go to the temple. Never don't go to Temple Square. I'm not saying not to. Just everybody will do that. Right. So I'll find something else to do. 
Um, There's a lot of, a lot what of other, other churches? Cool, unique things around. So you say, you well, look, you can with, stop at these five places. These are some old cathedrals, Cathedral of the Madeline, the Greek Orthodox Church. There's a beautiful Methodist Church. Different places around town, you can kind of get and get that. The sense and taste of feel. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of brew pubs that I, breweries that I think are pretty damn cool. Uh, I'm glad they're here. It's the nightclub scene downtown. Some nights on Saturday night downtown, it feels like Bourbon Street to all the people. Mm-hmm. But I go, I ask him for that unique thing. And if it's, whether it's seafood or whatever, then I'll find something that's just a little bit different. It takes him off guard. And I obviously say, go to Snowbird. Not because I love snow, because you can get on top of a mountain. It just, that just always startles them. Do you have uh, one or two favorite local eating spots? I know that's a big question to ask you. I mean, it's, it, it's a question that I'm probably going to defer on because I know too many people in the club industry and I know too many people in the restaurant industry and I tell every one of them, this is my favorite spot. Yeah. And they all are. And, and one thing that I've done quite religiously is if, is if they're supporting city weekly, I support them. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, and, and I encourage our readers to do the same thing. We've been free. We're not on a, it's been incredibly hard to survive this. There are times when I'll be honest with you in the past few years, I thought, yeah, I'm done. I've ruined, uh, you know, my kids' futures or whatever, and uh, I'm through. I don't need to keep doing this for the, for anybody. Yet we've gotten through it and some with some pretty cool things to build a bright future for us. But it's been really freaking hard. But we didn't go on a crybaby mode either. You never heard City Weekly saying, "Wow, wow, we laid off 30 journalists." You know, uh, we did something. No, we didn't. It's been hard, and we kind of kept it to ourselves. And mm-hmm. me and a few other people that are close to it inside the building, some fabulous, fabulous people dedicated to what we do. Uh, and an entire City Weekly staff in that regard are, are humans that I just admire. And um, among them are people that are making their own kinds of sacrifices to make sure that the community has this. So my my 10 cent appeal would be if you'd like to have what we have provided, not the news, but the community and the voice, that not just the news, the community and the voice and the things that shape our community, we're your last hope. Mm-hmm. Tribune ain't doing it. I'm very fond of many of the journalists over there. Uh, I, I know the ownership. I know the editor. I know all that. But their role is different now in this community than it once was. They're the ones 50 years ago that put liquor by the drink on the ballot. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that 40 years ago said beautify Main Street. They're the ones 30 years ago said put tracks through, you know, and do this again. Mm-hmm. Where are they on CBD? Yeah. Legalizing? Yeah. Where are they? Where are they on, on equality? I know they report about it. But then, and, and I, and I, and we all have to respect that we need that to be done. But they're no longer the point of the spear when it right. comes to shaping community events in Salt Lake City. And it's an awkward thing to say, but it's true. We print more papers than the Deseret News. We move the spear now. Yeah. The people that should have done it don't. Uh, and, and it's the nature of the business. You know, newspapers, daily newspapers are affected differently than us, but still, it's, it's, it, it it's like I said earlier, it's uh, the community is so important to me. And being able to have that community needs the support of readers who support the people who support us. Yeah. It's all about like we all can be collaborative and create what we want to live in out here. Right. So will, will we all be sad if the Deseret News or Tribune go away? Yeah. They all play a major role in the they, We all will be. Yeah. Will you be sad if the city really goes away? Yeah. Very. 
Probably not. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, John. No, no, no. No, it's, I, I get, no, but the point is, is it's a different kind of thing now. Yeah. Um, we used to be the little guy. We were the guy that would they would say, according to a third party anonymous source. You don't get to do that anymore. Yeah. We're as bigger, bigger now. And by the way, our community's been with us a long time, and they're loyal. Yeah. And we 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 move the needle. Well, you've made an impact on their lives, and you've you've created a safe place through what you've done for people who haven't really felt a place here before. I, I like what you said there. That is true. And so the days when I would wake up and be terrified of what might happen that day from, I'm talking to more recent years, uh, when you're growing an enterprise, you're full of piss and vinegar and every day is an adventure. And then you have your cresting years. And what happened in the newspaper industry, it was like, I describe it two ways. One is, uh, your 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 industry you you're a beehive guy. What do they call that guy? You grow bees, right? Oh, yeah. beekeeper. beekeeper, beekeeper, right? Yeah. But it's happened. They go out and they look in their their hives, and the bees are gone. Where'd the bees go? That's sort of like what happened in the newspaper industry. Where where did the revenues go? Yeah. It's like the Jesus pin. If you know what that is, like they used to say it in you know, guys in Vietnam. If they're on a helicopter, if you shot the Jesus pin, you're dead because it's something that keeps the thing going around like this. One lucky shot and boom, it plummets. Well, that's what it felt like. Somebody shot our Jesus pin out and everything. We went from happy days and sure, we'll do this and this and this and this and hire and donate, whatever, and it did nothing. Mm-hmm. And it was like free fall. So there were times in the midst of that, it was like, geez, I wonder if I walked over there on Main Street and stood in front of a tracks train. I wonder if I could stop it. You go, nah, that's stupid. But it felt like that. Yeah. You, you just feel like, what am I going to do? Right. And, and uh, then I would think of the things like you just said, Chrissy. It was like, wait a minute. I remember that letter that was written from so-and-so. I remember the phone call from somebody who cried and said, thank you for what you did for my daughter. I love to, to hear the stories of, man, if you didn't, this, didn't do this, we wouldn't succeed as a business. And then you go, okay, tracks train. I'm not afraid of you. Because you have to do it for your people and your community and your friends and your followers. You have to. Mm-hmm. It's a hard job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's shared. It's not on one person, but mm-hmm. it, it's where my head is. That's where I grew up. You know, you work together. And it's not that you fell together, but you work together. And you work for commonality. And the commonality wasn't a political belief. The commonality was good. And so if you can do something good or fair be honest – uh, you know, there, there are people out there that, you know, they think I'm so full of shit and I'm such a prick, uh, you know, because they were wronged by City Weekly or something. Um, You're just authentic. Well, and that's why. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to be ashamed of what they put on my headstone. <laughs> there you go. I've had a heck of a conversation with you today, John. We need to probably get it's this thing amazing. wrapped up, though, at, at some point here. Yeah, we could talk forever. I feel like we could talk to you forever, though. Most people have seen City Weekly. I always I always ask people who come through here, you know, what's the best way to get a hold of you? I think most people know, you know, pick up a City Weekly, I guess, at the 7-Eleven or right. Smith's Grocery Store. The bulk of what our revenues come from, as we talked about it earlier, is yeah. obviously print, right? Things are changing, obviously, but we still have a very strong print presence, and unlike which you can do on social media or online and stuff. Print is still really, really effective. And so we that's the easiest way. So yeah, go to a, your local cafe, coffee shop, club, a library, news rack on the side of the street, Smith's grocery stores, Harmon's grocery stores, and pick one up. Or just go to cityweekly.net and read us online, and you'll see plenty of things to do and say. You can sign up for our newsletters. We send probably 200,000 newsletters a week. 
somewhere in that area of emails. Yeah, I, lo- I love getting the email newsletters. A lot of email from us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, people sign up and yeah. they're opt in. Yeah. They're opt in. We don't just grab names and start, you know, doing it. So, we whether we're promoting something that's available in our city weekly store, which I mentioned, where you can buy things for, you know, inexpensive concert tickets or two for one food offers, and there's four hundred some on places where you can offers in any one time. There's lots of ways to find out what we do and be part of our community. Paper. Online, email, social media. We have lots of channels and we're still learning just like everybody else. We're not experts in many things and we just depend on the kindness of, of Salt Lake City. Of Salt Lake City, yep. Chrissy has a final question that she likes to throw at people. Okay. Is there anything before we completely close out here that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't? I mean, I, I guess that's an open question. No, I don't. Question. I think we would kind of through it all. I mean, you know, um, I, I'm very grateful to be here. Thank I, you, I, yeah. I told you about your space earlier. We looked in here for a place to rent ourselves because we're moving off of Main Street. When we moved to Main Street, nobody wanted to work on Main Street. The city was paying people to move on to Main Street. Now, 15 years later, our rent should be five or seven, ten times higher than what it is. And, and it's worth it to the, the new – so that we're just priced out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to move. problem is there's not very many – the whole valley's priced out. Yeah. So who knows? But this, in this building, and you guys have done a fabulous job. Well, thank I, you. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have this kind Thanks. of vision, you know, so you guys have done great. So we'll we'll move down from downtown at some point. Um, Come on down. We'll share an office. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd love that. And, you know, I like to be around people like you guys that talk and create. And yeah. creators are, are gold to me. Yeah, it's, so. it's so inspirational. I mean, that's why we were so excited to have you on. It's so great to be able to see your story and like the vision that you had and what you've created with spit and vinegar. It's, it it's a well, hard and, road, but and, it's, and, and it's and it so valuable. For, the, the, the thing that I wrote about and that Huntsman John Sr. wrote was a lot of it was fear. You get to a point where you're afraid to stop. Mm-hmm. And luck and fear. And uh, like I said, I went to school for my grandfather. Well, I can't fail for the same reason. You've given us a lot of good advice and a lot of good things, but I also want to know if there is a motto or piece of advice that you would want to leave with our listeners. Advice? I I, I think that, at least as it relates to uh, my experience, twofold. One is uh, don't wait like I did. Become unshy. The sooner you start to be expressive and become part of the community, the better. And you can do that any way, shape, or form. Uh, You know, be open-minded enough to at least look at other points of view. Don't don't just choose a team. It's we're too divided. Play all the cards that are dealt. Don't don't think the game's over. Somebody the, the thing is is when you play cards out, even if the game's over, it's not over. Because you'll figure out a way to get a new deck on the table and start the game over. So uh, I I don't have like the sage advice. I don't because I don't know if you're if I'm listen, who's listening or journalists or if they're passionate people about a cause or whatever. I would just say Whatever it is that you like to do, do more of it. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Uh, enjoy a good cocktail. Quit smoking. You know, like I said, it, it, it's it to me to be even in here is just humbling, frankly, because I've told my story my way. That other people want to hear about it is is a kind of a new leaf for me. Uh, so I appreciate. I think there's a lot of, of people that would love to hear your story or that are dying. To hear your story. You've been requested well, a few times. Really? So, oh. I mean, people are looking forward to well, it. Well, you know, part of my sense of this is, again, I grew up in an environment that were tough guys. And, yeah. and so sometimes I've been the tough guy, even the, the, the clown that cries, you know, and and uh, tough on the outside. 
hurting oh, so on, tough the on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Greek song that says, uh, I don't, I don't want to say any Greek, but anyway, I'm alive on the outside, but I'm dead inside. So we all do that. We, we mask ourselves. And, uh, because of that, I, I, I probably grew up with too much of a chip on my shoulder. My side of town was the Oker Mountains, and up there it's just gone. East side, west side to me, man, I didn't get past Seventh East very often until I was an adult. I'm a west sider, mm-hmm. uh, and I still don't live west of Seventh East, uh, east of Seventh East. So, uh, you know, um, that chip has served me well, and it's also hindered me. So, what happened is along the way, you know, people that I would have thought of maybe been curious about how we're doing, like the Tribune, paper of record in a city, right? Mm-hmm. It's our 35th anniversary of City Weekly. It's our 10th beer fest coming up. It's our 10th supporting of Miss City Weekly for Pride wow. next week. Do you think they would ever do something? Hell no, because they look at us at that little junior paper. That So it kind of pisses you off in, mm-hmm. inside. I'm always grateful. And like I said, I know, I know the people there enough to, to know it's not personal, but. Right. But it makes you feel motivated like, to continue to work harder and keep creating. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Because they got to tell, they, they've written their obituary for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So why don't they say other things about other things, other people? My, I would just, I would tell you one thing that I would talk about. There's, there's, there's one other person in town that I have a lot of respect for in this business. That's Greta DeJong over at Catalyst. Love her. Oh, yeah. And she was publishing before I was. And so was Dan Miller with Mills Publishing, who's doing Utah Sports Guide. And so those two people are actually longer publishers than me, but the three of us are longer than anybody else. Yeah. And, That's awesome. and, and uh, Greta is just lovely. I don't know if you guys know her, but we got to know each other because in the early days of the paper, I got a letter one day and it said, You guys are sure male centric. <laughs> <laughs> we had like three writers, they were all guys. And da 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 da. And by the way, who does your proofreading? Because there was two hundred and four typos in this issue, and we did have a lot of them, right? And uh, cry me, who's this? And it was signed by Greta, editor at Poe. So uh, at Catalyst, which I was aware of, and I knew her by name by only reading it. Called her up and said, "What was that all about?" And, and she's got this fun laugh. And mm-hmm. oh, you read my letter. And I said, "Oh shit, I could probably get along with her." So we met at uh, Green Street. Not too long after that, it was a very popular club up in Trolley Square. And we got so drunk. <laughs> and we're just buddies, right? So I just, I, and Greta's just, she, she's another one. She has a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Catalyst absolutely. is a community. That's that's what I would say and add. It absolutely is. And and uh doesn't matter if it's bigger than God or small or whatever. It's, it is a community. And she is really, really the heart and soul of that community. And I, I commend her. Many thanks again to John Saltis for joining us on this episode of the podcast. You can find all the links to connect with him and all the links for The City Weekly by visiting our website at IamSaltLake.com forward slash 386. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. And it is that time of the podcast where we take just a couple of minutes, tell you a weekly recommendation, something that we love, something that we enjoy, 
something that we feel we need to tell you about the listener. Right, Chrissy? Right, indeed. You go first. It's your, yes. it's your uh, turn to go first this episode. So this week, my recommendation is Three Pines Coffee in downtown Salt Lake City. I This actually made me extra excited because I walked there and got my first coffee from them. And they were actually the first episode that I joined you on as a co-host. I want to say that was episode 209, if I'm not, or maybe 229, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'll put that link on this uh, episode show notes at ionsaltlake.com. Really cool conversation though, and uh, Mm -hmm. delicious coffee. Really good coffee. Really, really good coffee. Uh, They're just like right down on Gallivan Avenue, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Uh, Walking distance from my office. Yeah. So if you're downtown and you want to check out some good coffee. I would recommend Three Pines Coffee as well. But my recommendation for the week is the Liberty Park Farmer's Market, which I don't think this farmer's market gets the love and recognition that it deserves. Well, it's kind of, it's a weeknight, right? So I think people are a little more forgetful of it. Friday evening. I mean, what yeah. else do you do on a Friday night in Salt Lake City, right? You go to a farmer's market. Yeah, but, uh, that's what it's you a do. Little, it's a little bit smaller than the downtown mm-hmm. farmer's market that we're always talking about, but it's Friday evening. I believe it's from about 4 to f- or 5 p.m. It starts until about 8 o'clock or, or 8.30 when it gets dark out. Yeah. But they have a lot of good veggies and, and fresh meat and whatnot down there. So they you have can amazing get, produce. Yeah, so you can get some delicious local produce every Friday night if you can't make it to the downtown uh, or I know that, you know, there's farmer's markets all over yeah, the valley, yeah. but the uh, Liberty Park Farmer's Market on Friday evening is worth checking out. So those are our weekly recommendations for the week. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Five Wives Vodka, Mark Miller Subaru, Energy Healing Conference, and KRCL. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can find at IamSaltLake.com. And while you're on our website... Check out our back catalog of episodes. We have almost 400 episodes. They are all on that website. And I'm sure there's one or two that you have not listened to yet. And if you've listened to the entire back catalog, go back through it. Listen again. (laughs) And you can always send us letters, postcards, or packages to P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. Hey, you have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local. And we'll see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy.